All right. <clears throat> I want to thank you guys and thanks, Larry, uh, for giving me this opportunity and entrusting me for doing this. Um, we talked. He asked if I wanted to do it, and he said, you can do it on Thanksgiving. So I said, okay. So the lesson is on Thanksgiving. So there are a lot of definitions for Thanksgiving, but all of them pretty much say the same thing. It's the act of giving thanks and grateful acknowledgement of benefits or favoritism. And this is the part that actually shocked me when I looked this up and what I'm going to talk about. The definition finishes with, especially to God. So the act of giving thanks, grateful acknowledgement of benefits or favoritism, especially to God. So the fact that's 2022 and that God is anywhere near definition, I say is pretty shocking with everything going on. But I think it's pretty awesome because rightly so, we should be giving thanks to our Lord. And I just find it so interesting and curious as to why he's in the definition. So if you look up Thanksgiving and its origin, um, you will find that, at least in the USA, you'll get that the holiday was started with the meal held in 1621, celebrated by the pilgrims after their first harvest in the New World. Interestingly enough, though, the New English New England colonists were accustomed to regularly celebrating Thanksgiving, being days of prayer, thanking him, thanking God for blessings such as military victory or the end of a drought. The greatest part of all this is that it was created to thank God, and we cannot lose that. Thanksgiving was celebrated on and off throughout the USA. Some presidents chose not to celebrate it, and some did. Some presidents, until Abraham Lincoln, up until Abraham Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln finally made a federal holiday in 1863 during the Civil War. Lincoln proclaimed it and he said, It is the day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. And that is pretty great. And I think that is, that's what it should be about, about God. So if you turn your Bibles to Leviticus 23, we actually find... Um, a similar celebration. But before that, um, but before that, God is talking to his people in Exodus uh, chapter 19. And he tells them this. In Exodus 19, verses 4 through 6, it says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I, lo- how I bore you on eagles' wings. And brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my co- my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And then in Exodus chapter 20, we get to the Ten Commandments. So God is going to make a covenant because of Abraham. God has taken care of his people over and over and over again. And so now, he is going to make that covenant that he agreed with Abraham. They're going to be his people. But if they're going to be his people, they're going to need to be a holy nation. And the way they do so is by following his commands and his laws. So they are to be set apart from the rest of the world. And in doing so, God will continue to be with them. So in Leviticus chapter 23, God instructs Moses another command. And I'm going to start in verse 33. Le- uh, Leviticus 23, verse 33. This is 
the festival of shelters. And the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Begin celebrating the festival of shelters on the 15th day of the appointed month, five days after the day of atonement. This festival to the Lord will last for seven days. On the, day, on the first day of the festival, you must proclaim an official day for holy assembly when you do no ordinary, or, no ordinary work. For seven days, you must present special gifts to the Lord. The eighth day is another holy day on which you present your special gifts to the Lord. This will be a solemn occasion, and no ordinary work will be done that day. These are the Lord's appointed festivals. Celebrate them each year as official days for holy assembly by presenting special gifts to the Lord. Burn offerings, grain offerings, sacrifices, and liquid offerings, each on its proper day. These festivals must be observed in addition to the Lord's regular Sabbath days. And the offerings are in addition to your personal gifts. The offerings you give to fulfill your vows and the voluntary offerings you present to the Lord. Remember that this, that this seven-day festival to the Lord, the Festival of Shelters, begins on the 15th day of the appointed month after you have harvested all the produce from the land, of the land. The first day and the eighth day of the festival will be days of complete rest. On the first day, gather branches for magnificent trees, uh, palm fronds, bows from leafy, uh, leafy trees, and willows that grow by the streams. Then celebrate with joy before the Lord your God for seven days. You must observe this festival to be to the Lord for seven days every year. This is a permanent law for you, and it must be observed in the appointed month from generation to generation. For seven days you must live outside in little shelters. All native-born Israelites must live in shelters. This will remind each new generation of Israelites that made their ancestors live in shelters. When I rescued them from the land of Egypt, I am the Lord, your God. So a couple important things that uh, we can take from that reading. And I think uh, the most important part from this is that they weren't to do work for seven days. So I said we implement that here at Platte City and we take off on a religious exemption. So I'm all for that. So essentially for seven days, this is a festival. They are not to do ordinary work. They present special gifts to God for all those days. They include burnt offerings, grain offerings, sacrifices, and liquid offerings. So at first, the question is, why so much offerings, right? What, what's the purpose? If you actually turn to Numbers chapter 29, we get a much uh, a bigger picture, actually, of all that they were to sacrifice. Numbers 29, verse 12. And I'm just going to bounce around because I'm not going to read all of it. But it's uh, Numbers 29, verse 12, all the way through 40. I'm just going to read the first couple of verses to kind of give you an idea of what this festival included. Right. So it says in verse 12, Five days later, on the 15th day of the same month, you must call another holy assembly of all the people. You may do no ordinary work on that day. It is the beginning of the festival of shelters. A seven-day festival to the Lord. On the first day of the festival, you must present a burnt offering as a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. It will consist of 13 young bulls, two rams, and 14 one-year-old male lambs, all with no defects. Each of these offerings must be accompanied by a grain offering of choice flour moistened with olive oil, six quarts for each of the 13 bulls, four quarts for each of the two rams, and two quarts for each of the 14 lambs. 
You must also sacrifice a male goat and a sin offering, in addition to the regular burnt offering with its accompanying grain offering and liquid offering. On the second day of the seven-day festival, sacrifice 12 young bulls, two rams, and 14 one-year-old male lambs, all with no defects. Each of these offerings of bulls, rams, and lambs must be accompanied by its prescribed grain offering and liquid offering. You must also sacrifice a male goat as a sin offering in addition to a regular burnt offering with its accompanying grain offering and liquid offering. So it goes like that all the way through all seven days. Uh, so if you want to read that on your own, you can read it all the way through verse 40. So when you read all of it, it's a lot, right? It's a lot to sacrifice. And we thought making a Thanksgiving dinner was a lot. <laughs> Try doing this for seven days, right? It was actually 189 animal sacrifices uh, that they were to that were made to be sacrificed at the Feast of Shelters alone. And this was actually more than any other uh, holy days combined. So why? Why does God want a, a pleasing aroma to him, right? Why does he want so many sacrifices? Is it really the amount of animals or the smell that God is after? No, right? In Romans 12, verse 1, he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not confirm to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. A sacrifice isn't just the killing of an animal. It's a freely giving offering and represents the giving of oneself. So God wanted them. God wants his people, and God wants us. God wants us. But in order to be with God, you have to be pure and sinless as he is. You see, God's presence is like the earthly sun, pure, powerful goodness. But when something mortal and corruptible comes close to it, let's say a spaceship, if that gets close to it, to such pure power, it's destroyed. God has that pure, powerful presence, which, like the sun, is both good and dangerous. God is showing us how a mortal and corrupt being can live in the presence of God without being destroyed. And God wanted his people. And if we want to be with God one day, we need to do the same. So let's go back to uh, Leviticus 23. Now, I know this isn't the main point, but I do like verse 39. It says, remember that this seven-day festival to the Lord, the festival of shelters, begins on the 15th day of the appointed month, after you have harvested all of the produce of the land. The first day and the eighth day of the festival will be days of complete rest. I just really like that. It was after they have harvested all of the food from the land. I mean, how much harder would it have been if this uh, festival was before they harvested the food, Right? Just like everything in our life, God is putting everything in order, and all we have to do is just act. also find it interesting that the festival of shelters came after the Day of Atonement. So the Day of Atonement was done because not Israelites will make offerings throughout the year. So once a year, high priests would gather two goats, one to slaughter, and one to send outside of the camp, right, uh, into the wilderness, making the connection that the shedding of the blood was for the wrong of the people. It was given in place for Israel's sin. And the goat was to be sent out to symbolize that if God was going to be with his people, sin could not be present. Sin was to be driven out so that God can be in the presence with his people. This was to be done to be acceptable to God as his people. 
talk about pressure, right? A festival after that, after God provides for you, after God has cleansed you of all your sin, and on top of everything else he has done. So this feast for many days to the Lord, it was a time to set aside, to feast, sacrifice, give thanks, praising him, and singing songs all to him, remembering what he has done. And of course, verse 43 this will remind each new generation of Israelites that I made their ancestors live in shelters when I rescued you, when I rescued them from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. <clears throat> when God saved them from the Egyptians, right? The Israelites are nowhere to be. They were wandering, but they lived in shelters in the wilderness. It is a good reminder of where they came from and how God was always with them. So I think this festival just shows how God has been there for his people. He will continue to be there for his people and that he will always be there, right? I want you to make sacrifices to me. Don't worry, it's not gonna be until you have all the resources you need. It's not gonna be until after I cleanse you and your nation of all your sins. I want you to remember what I have done for you and how I got you out of slavery. And after that, I just kept providing for you. How you wandered in the wilderness and you were not in need of food, shelter, clothes. How you were in need and God was there. How you called out and I listened. How you cried out and I rescued you. So by definition, these Israelites, they were pilgrims. They left one land and they journeyed to another land. This festival of shelter is actually considered a pilgrimage festival. This is a Thanksgiving and rightly so giving thanks to God. And is this not something that we can apply to ourselves? Is this not the same for us? Has God not provided for us? Has God not provided a way for us to always be fed, always to have shelter, and to have everything that we need, and all we need to do is just act? Are we not on our journey ourselves, escaping the slavery of sin? Has God not given up his son for us to cleanse us of our sins? Has God not given everything needed to escape it and to make it our one true shelter with him in heaven? So rightly so, when Thanksgiving comes around, we are pilgrims. And this should be a day dedicated to the Lord, thanking him. Like uh, one article said, it is the outpouring of praise to God for who he is and what he has done. So we just went over an instance where everything was going right. And how one should act. So what about when everything is going bad? When everything is continually going bad? In the book of Job, in his case, we all, we all know his story and the immense suffering and loss that he had to go through. Uh, if you go to Job chapter 1, you can read from there real quick just as a, a quick reminder. Job chapter 1. I'm just going to jump down to verse 14. A messenger arrived at Job's home with the news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys, feeding beside them. And the Sabians raided us. They stole all of the animals and killed all the farmhands. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with the news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep. And all the shepherds and all of the shepherds. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with the news. 
Three bands of Chaldean, Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed their servants. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home. Suddenly, a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed and I am, and all your children are dead. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. So he lost his children, his livestock, and everything else, right? Then we get to Job verse chapter 1, verse 21. And we all know what it says. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. So for uh, so from a quick read, it's it's a it's kind of easy, kind of just read and kind of go through it. That's that's a huge statement. There's a lot in just that one verse that he said at the end in verse 21. Job just said, "There's a reason why." At the end of that verse, uh, when he finishes and he says. In verse, um, yeah, verse 21, it says, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job is saying, Lord, everything has been taken away from me, but bless you, right? Does that sound right? Does that sound, sound like a normal person would say? Does that even make sense? Isn't our first reaction, why? Why, God? Why is this happening to me? Why is this, why is this going on? So what does this mean? So in the beginning of verse 21, Job acknowledges that he was born with nothing and will leave with nothing. The same way he came into the world is the same way he is going out. So why bless the Lord when something is being taken away? Job is saying that all he ever had was a gift. And God is sovereign over those gifts. Job acknowledges that God is ruler and sole ownership of the gifts we receive. So how many times do we focus, when we read verse 21, we focus on the Lord takes away? And it's hard not to focus on that because the book is leading us through a series of unfortunate events, right? But Job is also saying something else. Yes, I've lost everything. Yes, I'm very sorrowful. Yes, I'm in this state of mind I've never been in. But guess what? Even in the position he was in, he recognized his blessings are God's gifts, even when they're being taken away. And he says, the Lord gave, right? He starts with the Lord gave. Job is making a good point here that all good things come from God. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Job is giving God credit for everything that's happened to his life. And then bad things happen to Job. And he says that the Lord takes away. Well, we know, right, that it wasn't God who did all these things to him, right? He didn't do those things to him. And we know that in the case of Genesis, bad things happen because of sin. Because of sin, that's now in the picture. There's going to be sin. There's going to be slavery. There's going to be death. There's going to be tragedy. But Job doesn't say that. He gives credit all to God, good and bad, by saying what he said in 21, right? The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. So with what happened with Job and how he responded, it actually answers a lot of questions. Why is Job suffering? Why, why is, sorry, why is Job serving God, 
right? That's the question he actually answers by the way he answers in verse 21. Does Job expect God to take care of him? God will give him prosperity, health, and favors if he does what God needs him to do? Or does Job serve God for nothing? Is Job's righteousness focused on who God is? Or is his righteousness focused on what God can do for him? In the ancient world, righteousness was a self-serving endeavor, right? When we ask, does Job serve God for nothing? We can see that the question isn't about why Job suffered or what Job's suffering is all about. Job suffers in order to answer if he serves God for nothing. Because the way you find out whether you serve God for nothing is whether you'll continue to serve God when you lose it all. Job is intended to teach that though God is thoroughly good and just, he allows even the righteous to suffer so that they might be instructed, purified, and perfected through their pain by learning from it to draw near to God. In Job chapter 33, verse 19, I'm going to read a little bit from there. Job chapter 33, verse 19 says, Our God disciplines people with pain on their sick beds, with ceaseless aching in their bones. They lose their appetite for even the, the most delicious foods. Their flesh wastes away and their bones stick out. They are at death's door, and angels of death wait for them. But if an angel from heaven appears, a special messenger to intercede for a person and declare that he is upright, he will be gracious and say, Rescue him from the grave. For I have found a ransom for for his life. Then his body will become as healthy as a child's firm and youthful again. When he prays to God, he will be accepted. And God will receive him with joy and restore him with to good standing. He will declare to his friends, I sinned and twisted the truth, but I was not worth it. God rescued me from the grave. And now my life is filled with light. Yes, God does these things again and again for his people. He rescues them from the grave so that they may enjoy the light of life. Additionally, Job teaches that human suffering should not necessarily be viewed as divine punishment, right? As we read in Job chapter 1, pretty much the whole chapter. When I really also lie, I think this this part is really important. Man, as limited as we are, we must trust God and submit to his authority regardless of the suffering we may experience in life. As it says in Job 13, 15, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. And I think that's spot on. So Job could have easily pointed to the wicked men that killed his servants, right? In verse 13, 15, and 17. Or the natural disasters that took his sheep and children. That's in verse 16, 18, and 19. But how often... Does blaming mankind help your sorrow, right? How often does looking at mankind and putting blame on human help you mourn? It doesn't. It never does. It's never enough. It does nothing to alleviate sorrow. Instead, as Job did, he looked above and he looked to the ruler of the universe. And sometimes, just like in Job's case, God allows suffering in the lives of his loved ones. So during those times, God's loved ones must cling to the truth that God is good. So this loss, this bad that's happening for a reason, is for a reason. And sometimes it may even be for our benefit, just as Job did. 
In Romans 8.28, it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. <clears throat> Psalm 27.13.14 I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, waiting for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. We may not know why what we perceive as bad are happening to us, but we must trust that our God, that it is for our benefit. Psalms 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So what do we do when we are on the opposite side of blessings? You can put your trust and hope and even thanks that we have a sovereign God who is doing what is best for us and our situation. That's why at the end of verse 21, Job says, Blessed be the name of the Lord. A.K.A. I'm trusting you. I'm trusting your ways. And we can even be thankful in difficult times. So who is God and why should we thank him? I'm going to finish off with just reading uh, some, some, some verses from the Bible. So we can uh, go back to Psalms 100. Or the sword of red. Psalms 100. Shout with joy to the Lord for all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. Psalms uh, 107. Psalms 107 verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Verse 8, let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. Psalms 68. Psalm 68, uh, verse 19. Praise the Lord. Praise God our Savior, for each day he carries us in his arms. Our God is a God who saves the Sovereign Lord rescues us from death. 2 Samuel 22, uh, verse 32. 2 Samuel 22, verse 32. For who is God except the Lord? Who but our God is a solid rock? God is my strong fortress, and he makes my way perfect. There's so many attributes that God is that we can read about. But most importantly, God is love. In 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7, it reads, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world 
so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that, that, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take our way our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. And that is it. That is an in-all, be-all. It doesn't get greater than that, right? Loves us so much that he gave his son for us, for us that we might be saved. If that's not enough, I don't know what is, because there will never be greater love than that. And that's why we are here and why we owe it all to our God. We are thankful in Jesus Christ. We are thankful for Jesus Christ. For it is possible to be with our beneficent Father in heaven. So do you now see why God is in the definition of thanksgiving? So what are you, I guess, what were you thankful for this Thanksgiving? What can you be thankful for going forward? I think it's safe to say that in good times and bad times, God is already there looking after his people. We can put our trust and hope in that. And at the end of every day, regardless of what happens, we are thankful for our God. So that's my lesson for you guys today. Um, I hope I gave you guys something to think about. I hope I've encouraged you guys today. Um, I hope I've given you a great appreciation for our Lord. Uh, if there's anything else that someone needs today or you need to make your way right with God, the opportunity is now. Please come forward as together we stand and sing.